from KHOL, this is Jackson Unpacked, our podcast on news, music, and culture in Jackson Hole and around the Mountain West. I'm news director, Tyler Pratt. Coming up on today's show, amid an affordability crisis in the region, another women's health center in Teton County is closing, the second within a year. It's more than just the checkup. It's more than the physical act of getting your annual or delivering your baby. It's like emotional, spiritual, physical support. We hear from women affected by the lack of healthcare options. And later, there's a tiny fish that only lives in a thousand feet stretch of stream in Western Wyoming and nowhere else. We go back and forth on wanting to draw attention to a really unique and cool species and wanting to protect it. These stories and more coming up on Jackson Unpacked. Thanks for joining us today. This fall, access to women's health care in Jackson got a jolt. Three-decade institution, the Women's Health and Family Care Clinic, announced its closing later this month, citing rising costs as the region experiences a crisis of affordability. It's the second women's health center to close this year in Jackson, leaving just one major OBGYN clinic left in town. Some doctors say they plan to resume services in the new year, but it leaves a gap. In Jackson, the Women's Health and Family Care Clinic was also the only abortion provider for a large swath of the Mountain West. But with the state's abortion bans being challenged in the courts and a decision possible mid-December, there are real questions about the future of reproductive care in Teton County and Wyoming. Several women have reached out to KHOL about how they are feeling right now about the state of care in Jackson, some of whom have said they have had to change OBGYNs several times over the past few years, and that there are wide impacts to women's health. When I was diagnosed with cervical cancer, it was in March of 2022. And then just a few short months later, they actually closed their doors. Women's health is now so crucial for me after my diagnosis. And then it just really takes you down this rabbit hole of like, okay, well, what does accessible health in general look like here in Jackson? And so you kind of start to spiral about like, Is this the right place for us to stay forever, to start a family, to grow old together? I am currently 30 weeks pregnant, and I'm due to deliver at the end of January. It was like several weeks of extraordinary stress and worry. And in that window, I started doing like a lot of research about the OB care options in Wyoming to figure out where else I could go. I considered going to Lander. I considered other places like Riverton. Would would it be worth that kind of drive if, you know, my choice was between Idaho Falls and Lander? Which would I pick? I'm still grappling with the news. I'm sure there are other women like me who are like, well, wait, now what? And what do we do? So for the relative size of our town, I think we have a decent support system or did. But yeah, it's still a small pool. And when you first find out that you're pregnant, you're looking for the right person. And you don't want just anyone. You want to go with someone that like sees your vision. And now that we're, we've reduced our options, I think it's going to be very limiting for women. And I don't even think it was that broad prior. When I heard about this, I like, I just like started crying. I just felt like really heartbroken for for all the women in Jackson and for so many women that work in the hospitality industry that don't have health insurance. And, 
you know, they just don't have the means to pay for their visits. I'm just worried that a lot of my peers won't have their annual pap smears and won't be screened for HPV or cancer. Also, like, I need my IUD taken out and I can't get in. Or I'd like to go on birth control, but I can't get in to see anyone. Amongst my female friends, we talk about OB and gynecological care all the time. Like, I'm in a book club with some women, and we usually talk about our access to gynecological and OB care. It's just like this constant source of stress that just hovers over women's care, whether it ranges from, you know, dealing with your period to getting pregnant. It's difficult when you have to continuously keep moving around appointments or keep moving doctors and you're not able to establish relationships. I hate to say that I don't have hope, but I don't have a ton of hope. Obviously, women's health care is kind of under attack right now in a number of different places. It's a big force with, you know, people trying to determine what we should and shouldn't be doing with our bodies and what health care is available. And then also, you know, with the rising cost of just being able to operate in the community. It's more than just the checkup. It's it's more than like the physical act of getting your annual or, you know, delivering your baby. It's like emotional, spiritual, physical support. What we need to do as a community is just like come together and put these resources out there because I don't think that women's health is a lost cause in this town. I just think that we need more encouragement and just to have these resources made available to everyone. Teton County residents Jennifer Dant, Ryan Mayhandy, Jessica Baker, and Michelle Lassell discussing the lack of women's health care options in Teton County following the shuttering of two providers this year. That audio postcard was produced by KHOL reporter Hannah Mersbach, who has been covering these closures. She joins us to discuss some of the options for women's health care in the region. Hi, Hannah. Hey, Tyler. So we were just hearing about resources in women's health in the region. What options are available to people right now? So if you want to see an OBGYN, the only remaining specific clinic is Grovant. They're taking patients, but the wait time is until February. Two of the providers from the soon-to-close Women's Health and Family Care Clinic are going to St. John's, and they're starting in February. One of those providers also told me that if you need just like an annual exam, you can go to just a primary care provider, which there are many more of in town. But she said the real gap is if you need someone to deliver your baby, deal with more complex gynecological issues, or provide abortion care. So what gaps will people experience in the region when it comes to abortion access? Yeah, so this clinic, the Women's Health and Family Care Clinic, is one of only two abortion providers in the state. They serve patients from across western Wyoming and eastern Idaho. One of their providers going to St. John's says she's going to continue providing that care when she starts up, but there'll be at least a six-week gap this winter with none of those services. And that's if abortion even remains legal. Yeah, we should note that abortion is still legal in Wyoming. The state's near total and medical abortion bans are currently blocked in the courts, but a hearing is coming up. What can we expect? So there is going to be a hearing on December 14th in Teton County. The judge could decide to let the case go to trial in the spring, or she could rule on it and decide to permanently block the abortion bans or let them go into effect. In that case, people would have to travel to Colorado or Montana for these kinds of in-person services. Now, interestingly enough, the Women's Health and Family Care Clinic is scheduled to close the following day. 
if abortion remains legal, where else can people go to find that care in the state? Yeah. So if you're looking for in-person care, people can go to Casper. It's a four and a half hour drive from Jackson and they offer medical and surgical abortions there. Or there's options at the website, justthepill.com. Kate Wills, Hannah Mersbach. We will look for more of your coverage on women's health care in the region. And you'll be at the December 14th court hearing looking at the future of the state's abortion bans. That's right. Thanks for joining us. You're tuned to KHOL, Jackson Hole Community Radio. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Jackson Unpacked from KHOL, where we showcase reporting and interviews on news, music, and culture in Jackson Hole and around the Mountain West. New episodes of Jackson Unpacked drop every other Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Jackson Unpacked is generously sponsored by the Snake River Sporting Club. At nearly 1,000 acres, this private western community accesses the Snake River and Bridger Teton National Forest. Not to mention a golf course, equestrian center, and fully functioning ranch. More information about excursions, amenities, and lifestyle at snakeriversportingclub.com. You're listening to Teton Valley Idaho Band, Ticket to Space, performing in the KHOL studios earlier this year. Head over to KHOL to find interviews and songs from local artists, as well as conversations with musicians from across the U.S. and the world who tour through Jackson. Check out the music section at 891KHOL.org. Thanks for tuning in to Jackson Unpacked. I'm Tyler Pratt. There's a fish that only lives in one body of water in the entire world, and it's in western Wyoming. It's been on the endangered species list since it was formed, and not that many people know about it. In fact, for this story, there was really only one person qualified to talk about this fish. As Wyoming Public Radio's Caitlin Tan reports, that person is a young, passionate biologist who made it her mission to keep the fish from disappearing altogether. Take a listen. We just uh, drove onto the Bridge of Teton National Forest. I'm driving with Kate Olson on a bumpy road in the Upper Green on a crisp fall day. Olson is in her 30s. She's wearing a blue skirt with leggings so she can hike around. Oh, I like the pink. Yeah, Very fun. <laughs> just got my hair cut today, so oh, wait, usually the pink is more hidden. But the main thing about Olson is she's a fish biologist for the Forest Service and loves and knows all things fish. Seven years ago, she had never heard of the Kendall Warm Springs Dace. Which so many people don't, don't even know. People who live in this county don't even know this species exists. And now she manages it. A tiny fish that only exists in a thousand feet stream in the upper green. And its future largely falls on her shoulders. The balance is always like, am I having a panic attack today? Or, <laughs> yeah, stressful. Yeah. We're driving through an open sagebrush valley. The Green River carves through the landscape and the Wind River Range towers over. So we just crossed this cattle guard and there's a fence around the entire, it's called a Kendall Warm Springs Special Interest Area. It surrounds a thousand feet of shallow stream that's always about 85 degrees. It's fed by a geothermal hot spring. 
It's home to the endangered fish. We're parked off a small bridge that goes over the warm springs, but you wouldn't really know an endangered species lives here. It's a little cryptic and we go back and forth on wanting to draw attention to a really unique and cool species and wanting to protect it. Basically, they don't want people wading in the water, disrupting the fish. We walk through some sagebrush and get to a 15-foot waterfall that separates the warm springs from the river. It looks almost tropical. Like, it looks almost like you're in Hawaii or something. And so it feels so out of place. The waterfall formed after glaciers receded about 15,000 years ago. And when it was first starting, you know, the waterfall was six inches high and then it was 12 inches high. And at that point, the fish was actually just the more common speckled dace, a fish that's thriving and is found from Canada to Mexico. But as the waterfall got taller, the fish could no longer move between warm spring and river. And at that point, they then started to evolve into their own subspecies of speckled dace. Essentially, the fish got trapped and evolved into the Kendall Warm Springs dace, living upstream of the waterfall, separate from all the foot-long trout just below in the river. There's like 10 fish over a foot long in there. Every day I go in the field and I think, why don't you bring your fly rod for your lunch break? Sorry, you were asking a question that obviously I got distracted by fish. Oh, you're okay. But upstream in the warm springs, we still haven't seen any of those rare fish that we're here to see. See that light colored sandy pebble bottom there? Just had five or six of them darting around. Oh, I see. Yeah. So an adult fish. Yep, there's, there was one. That, that was an adult fish maxing out in that one and a half to two inch neighborhood. The Warm Springs dace is olive colored and the youngins are teeny tiny. I refer to them as fingernail clippings because they're about that size and they're transparent. Olson says the population has declined for at least 20 years. We don't really know why, but a couple years ago, she and another fish biologist were looking at the Warm Springs and saw something green. I think this is watercress. And then we were both like, is that not native? The watercress is an invasive species. It looks like microgreens growing across the stream, forcing the water to flow faster and through smaller channels, possibly hurting the fish. Yeah, we um, did our best to remove 100% of the watercress from the system last year. Oh, really? Yep. So what you're looking at here um, is an answer to a question about how quickly it recolonizes. It's everywhere. So Olson says the next big project is figuring out the best way to remove it. As we're about to head back to the truck, Olson wants to make sure she mentioned all her favorite things about the dace. She leafs through her green notebook that's neatly organized with tabs. <laughs> I wanted to make sure I used the word endemic. It's a good word for people to know. Why, why do you feel like endemic is crucial? Endemic means something lives here and nowhere else. And that is the part for dace anyways, that just feels like this is just such an exceptional species to work with and manage. And with that, we bid the Kendall Warm Springs dace goodbye and drive back out. Now, one might question, surely a few fish must swim off that waterfall and into the river below. 
but Olsen's already considered this. My guess is they get chomped, chomped, chomped. For Wyoming Public Radio, I'm Caitlin Tan in the Upper Green. You're tuned to Jackson Unpacked on KHOL. Okay, movie buffs, a new film fest is coming to Jackson, aiming to showcase a prestigious collection of films from across the globe that are also gunning for Oscar nominations, and it may bring a few A-list actors into the region for the inaugural Jackson Hole International Film Festival, kicking off this month. Tickets for the full fest may not be in the price range for the average Jacksonite, but individual films being shown at the National Wildlife Museum are just a bit more than the average blockbuster playing at the town's movie theater. KHOL Executive Director Emily Cohen sat down with the festival's head, Marnie Walsh, to find out how it got off the ground and what they hope to achieve. Stuart Suna moved to Jackson Hole and kind of had the brainchild to start a film festival here, just as he had done at the Hamptons with the Hampton Film Festival. And that's been running for 31 years. And the goal of the film festival is to bring in more culture and just, you know, get people to think outside the box, see different kinds of films. Films kind of open your eyes up to different parts of the world, different stories, and just make you look at things, you know, other than yourself and the own microcosm you live in. What do you think the draw of film festivals in these towns like the Hamptons or other towns in the Mountain West like Sundance? We have some prominent film festivals here in our region. Well, it's just something fun to do. It's something different. You get a chance to see a film that might not necessarily show in your local movie theater on the big screen. And you also get a chance, you know, to check out some international films, some films in different languages, a good cross-section of a documentary film or some narrative features, and just to open your mind to experience something new on the screen. So you're going to be bringing in films from all over. Who is the audience for this? A lot of film festivals are for people in the industry. Are people going to be flying in from out of town for this festival? Uh, Most of our audience will be here locals. We want to make it a fun locals night out. And then we will be bringing people in for the festival as well. So with the different films, we bring in the filmmaker and some acting talent and, you know, kind of a combination. So that brings up the question, are there going to be any famous celebrities here in town? There will be some celebrities in town. And you can... Check out the film lineup. I'll keep you guessing. Oh, boy. You're not going to do that to us. Really? <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. Well, maybe the next question might lead us into a hint of this. What are you excited about? Are there any films that you are especially looking forward to? Really looking forward to the centerpiece film, which is American fiction. I'm prone to comedies. I think everyone needs a little more laughter in their life. With that said, the opening night film is also wonderful, and that is I'll Be Right There. It's a funny film with Edie Falco. Great thing about the opening night film is we have amazing appetizers and drinks to try to get people there on time and enjoy themselves before the film. And all the films are going to be screened at the National Museum of Wildlife Art? Yes, all of the films will be at the National Museum of Wildlife Art. There'll be three days of films, two films on Friday, three films on Saturday, three films on Sunday. 
And how were the films selected? You said that the founder of the film festival selected them, but what was he looking for? Do you have any insight uh, into that? He, um, Stuart just started the film festival. So the Jackson Hole International Film Festival is a new startup nonprofit in town. And then we're, we're put the film festival together as a collaboration with the Hampton International Film Festival. So as part of that collaboration, we were allowed to tap into their artistic director, a man named David Nugent, and he is the person that curated our eight films. Do you know what he was looking for or how he selected? Any insight into his thinking? He has a very good track record of selecting films that often go on for Oscar nominations. We have two different films that are international films. The Society of the Snow is Spain's Oscar submission for Best International Foreign Feature. And that is a Spanish-language film with English subtitles. We also have France's submission for Best International Feature, and that is a film called A Taste of Things. Could you talk a little bit about some of the other initiatives that your organization has then? So if this is the film festival is one thing that you have going on, but you're launching a whole nonprofit. Yes. So we do a bunch of educational programs for local children. So currently we do collaborative program with the Wonder Institute and the J.H. Robo Bronx and the Jackson Hole International Film Festival. I'm a media mentor and I teach the kids how to make a film from start to finish. So thus far, they have completed a robotic love story called Goomba in three parts. And then I also work with the high school with the mixed media arts and we provide technical workshops for the high school students that matches their curriculum. So I'll bring in like an industry professional and they work one-on-one with the kids, you know, doing, you know, it could be a gimbal workshop, editing tips, camera settings, learning, you know, it's all hands-on. It's not just someone talking to you. And what's your background in film? I've been working in the film and entertainment industry almost my entire adult life. So it's just kind of a new chapter to it. It's a different way to work with film. How have you done that here in Jackson? Is there much of an industry? Oh, yeah, you got to get creative. I've worked freelance on films for over 30 years in Jackson, and I'm still here. You know, you have to be diverse and work on, you know, feature films, lots of car commercials, lots of documentaries, wildlife films, and mix it up. Jackson Hole International Film Festival Executive Director Marnie Walsh speaking with KHOL's Emily Cohen. This inaugural fest kicks off this month. That's it today on Jackson Unpacked. Original music for the show is performed by the local band Strombucket. I'm Tyler Pratt, and this is K-12 Jackson. Jackson.